My name is Veronica Day, and I am looking for the simple things. For as long as I've been alive, I've had someone in my life asking me, what are you looking for? It started out as my mom, and now it's my wife, Courtney. But this year, I've been looking for something they can't help me find. So I'm setting out to talk to my friends, new and old, about life, passion, purpose, and honestly, whatever else comes up, and to ask what I hope is the simple question so I can stop looking. What are you looking for? Hello, and welcome to episode one. My first guest is my very good friend, Veronica Day. Uh, She is a former skeleton teammate of mine. We have traveled for sports together, and I actually took my first trip to Europe with her when she invited me to come along to Spain with her in 2017. Uh, She has covered a lot of the globe, so traveling with her was an awesome learning opportunity for me when it comes to navigating mass transit and culture and just life in a foreign country. She is someone who I've definitely looked to for advice on life, travel, and career. Veronica was a career coach for retiring athletes and current competing professional athletes, making her the perfect person for me to start off this journey with. I really enjoyed this conversation. Veronica is so smart, and uh, we talk everything from uh, monetizing your entire life uh, with side hustles and the grind culture, and also just enjoying and finding gratitude for the simple things. Um, I'm excited for you to listen to this one um, and look forward to hearing your feedback on it. So, well, without further ado, let me introduce you to my good friend, Veronica Day. All right. Welcome, Veronica. Thanks a lot for being my first guest. I appreciate you taking the time here. I'm I'm honored. I'm, I'm honored to be your first guest. Thanks for the invite. Oh yeah. You're such a great friend. And, um, you know, through Skeleton and just in the years since, I'm really glad that, you know, we've, we've stayed in touch because I feel like I just continuously learn things from you. Um, and you're just a, a wise friend and also just a big fan of your friends. Uh, you are a really big encourager. So I just appreciate awesome. you for all that. Yeah, much, um, much appreciated. Ditto. I, I mean, I, I feel like the biggest thing I miss from Skeleton are the like friends that I made that I got to hang out with every day at the Olympic Training Center, and so um, it's definitely a bummer to not have that in my life. Yeah, there is something to uh, you know living in the training center, and for all the cons that there might have been for living in the fishbowl life of that, um, it was really fun to just have a community of friends that we laughed really hard with and. Uh, uh, celebrated success and, and failure with, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Hey V. So, um, not everyone listening, the, the tens of listeners to this first episode might know you. Um, <laughs> why don't we just start by like, tell me, tell us a little about yourself. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Veronica day and my, and I met at the Lake Placid Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. Um, we were both skeleton athletes. And for those listeners out there that don't know what skeleton is, it is a winter Olympic sport and it entails careening face first down a icy water slide uh, you know, at 85 miles an hour, head first on a lunch tray. 
And um, we uh, bonded over trying to learn tracks together and competing internationally and representing Team USA and everything that comes with that. And um, I retired in 2019, late 2019, basically right before COVID started in in 2020. And uh, got a job and moved to a mountain town in Colorado and been loving life ever since. That's awesome. Um, yeah, good explanation of what skeleton is. Thanks for, uh, doing the honors on that one. Uh, I am, uh, always trying to figure out how to actually sum up what that sport was, um, usually without using the movie cool running. So, um, I used it yesterday. Uh, so I, I see water slide. <laughs> yeah. I see water slide might be the new words I use. Um, Hey, I'm sure you told me, but um, thinking back, I don't know. Like, how did you get involved in Skeleton? I feel like, even though that's a past chapter of my life, whenever it comes out to somebody new that I did that, that's always their first question. Like, how do you even get into that? So, what, what, what got you to the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York? Yeah. Um, well, much like pool running, uh, I was a track and field athlete in college, so I ran track. In high school, I was a D1 track athlete doing predominantly long jump and triple jump. And I watched the 2010 Olympics, which were in Vancouver, and saw bobsled and skeleton athletes that were competing. And every time an athlete went to the line, the announcer would say something like, so-and-so ran track, she did hurdles at whatever university. And I was in college at the time. And so... I thought to myself, oh, like, I can, I'm running track. Maybe I can do bobsled. And um, did some research, found out that skeleton was probably better fit. And I sent an athletic resume to USA Bobsled and Skeleton. And they're based out of Lake Placid, New York. And I had my track and field PRs and all that good stuff. And I got invited up to take a fitness test called a combine. And depending upon how well you do in this fitness test, that gets you invited back to actually try the sport. And so I did really well in this fitness test. And, um, and then I went to a sliding school and fell in love immediately. And, uh, it kept me from getting a desk job after I graduated from college. So it all worked out. Yeah. That's, it's always so fun to hear how people get involved. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely similar similarities between everyone. I think most of us think of bobsled before we think of skeleton. Um, I don't know many people who would jump right to, I think I want to do the skeleton. I think it's usually um, bobsled thinking first. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think for me, I didn't, in bobsled, as you know, Mike, you start as a brakeman pushing, and then you get in the sled, and your driver takes you down, and I did not like the idea of leaving my destiny in the hands someone else and uh would rather do an individual sport and accidentally kill myself instead of killing someone else so that was that was a big part of it i think yeah i think that's one thing that maybe everybody loves watching bobsled on the olympics but until you see one in person and see the steering mechanism for it um you don't realize how uh 
not advanced. Very primitive, this sport is. So I think it makes perfect sense that some people jump in the back of a bobsled only once and go, I think that's, I think I'm good on that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My one and only bobsled run, my driver crashed in corner eight in Lake Placid. So one is done early. Not doing that again. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably clipping along. Uh, right around 70 miles an hour at that point. Uh, that'd be yeah, a, uh, not ideal. Not great. Not ideal. Not ideal. There's a lot of track to slide on uh, the rest of the way there. Um, yeah. Well, so you mentioned that you ended up leaving the sport in 2019. Um, that I think just like a year or two after uh, when I ultimately did. Um, and while you were in the sport, I remember. Um, you were trying to kind of connect me with jobs while I was an athlete. And I know you were doing that for others. Um, and, and you were kind of helping, um, some folks transition out of the sport into their next phase of life. Like what, what was that? Um, what was kind of that career coaching that you were doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, I'll be honest, I kind of fell into career coaching initially. I, um, most Olympic athletes do not get paid for what they do. Most of them um, live at or below the poverty line and have gone better with uh, social media over the last few years, for sure. But um, uh, for me, when I first started out, I was trying to figure out a way to make money that would eventually go straight into skeleton, go into flight, go into travel. Um, equipment, coaching, all of that kind of stuff. And so I was looking for a remote job and this is in 2012. So remote work exists, but not in the way that exists post COVID. And, um, I applied for a job as an athlete and as an athlete career coach. And I felt very underqualified when I first started, but, um, took some courses, learned from a really lovely very knowledgeable colleague um, who had been also been a professional boxer for a really long time. And it kind of fell into my, my lap. I applied for this job. I did well in the interview, got the job and then did that uh, on and off for um, probably five years or so, helping athletes to either transition into life after sport or uh, help them find a job that would allow them to keep competing and keep competing for, uh, for, for team USA for uh, an extended period of time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. I, I think, um, you know, it, it is when, when you're an athlete, uh, trying to fund your, your life, uh, it felt like you were in, uh, just like the hamster wheel of every dollar uh, yes. while you're living that life is going to fueling your sport and keeping, keeping yourself on, in our case, the track for another day um, and paying yeah. for all of your meals and your training. And um, yeah, it was an expensive phase of life. I'm curious. I think there are some parallels, whether you're an athlete or um, just anyone looking for career, but you know, like for, for athletes who are transitioning out of sport, 
you're kind of coming out of this adrenaline fueled, um, very driven environment where every day what you wake up and the goals are like clearly defined. This is what I relate to is like the adrenaline of every day. You're going to go slide at 80 miles an hour head first. You wake up every day and you're like, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to sprint. I'm going to lift weights. I like all of the goals and what needs to be done every day is like so clearly defined and laid out. And then when you go back to the real world, it's not like that. And you can kind of feel a little directionless. Um, And so I'm curious, like, as you were helping athletes transition out of sport, like, what did you feel like were some of the sticking points? Yeah, I think it, uh, that's such a tough question sometimes, because I think it's different for every athlete, but to, to generalize anyone that is competing at a high level, this could be NCAA, this could be Olympic professional, whatever it is. Um, they are likely goal oriented. They, um, likely take instruction really well. They're coachable. They're trainable. They're eager to learn all, all of things are things that are inherent to being, uh, inherent to being an athlete or hard workers. And, um, the real world doesn't necessarily have a set pathway that you have to take or, or are supposed to take. And I think in the skeleton world for, for us, it was, um, you know, race in a team selection races, get on an international circuit, uh, win international races, uh, then qualify for Olympic trials. Like, qualify for the Olympics, win a medal. Like there's a pretty clear pathway that you're supposed to take um, when you're competing. And I think the real world isn't necessarily like that. And there are a lot of ways to get from point A to point B uh, when you retire from sport, but sometimes you don't know what you want point B to be. And so it requires some uh, self-reflection in trying to figure out how, what you're looking for and like how you want to get there. And so I feel like I was pretty lucky uh, that I got this career coaching job because in giving advice, feedback, and tasks uh, to other athletes, I had to self-reflect myself as a current competing athlete on what that meant for for me and what I, what I could potentially be looking for in terms of life after sport. So I think it's sometimes when, when you're working with an athlete that when I was working with athletes that didn't really know what they wanted, a lot of it was just about going through exercises to help them think critically on what they're looking for, as opposed to me being a coach in a kind of traditional athletic sense saying, and now you're going to do five sets of five at squats or whatever it is. You're going to do free runs today and you're going to focus on corner four. It's not necessarily like that. It's, it's a little more, um, there's a, a little more self-exploration. I think that that happened and that can happen while you're competing. But, uh, I also think that the coaching environment and the pressures that come on you when you're a high level athlete dictate that you should only focus on your sport. And that sometimes sets athletes up for failure when they 
uh, retire from sports because they've done no thinking about what, what they're looking for after they retire. You know, listening, listening to you talk about that, the word that kind of keeps coming up in my mind is, is identity. And I think, um, in our like age of social media and like you said, like, uh, in an individual sport world, um, we had to kind of fight for our reps in the gym. And we also had to fight for our reps financially with work. And so there was like, you know, even me with my limited success in the sport, like felt like I had to constantly kind of self promote. And so whether it's through social media or just, um, running fundraisers back home to try to keep your sport going, your career going, you know, your identity kind of becomes wrapped up in what you're doing there. And, and I think, um, yeah, I just kept thinking of that word identity while you were talking there. Cause I think it's really dangerous. Um, whether you're an athlete or whether, uh, you're a parent or, you know, in my current role as a fireman now, um, professionally, uh, identifying yourself as any one thing, because, you know, whether you're a parent, like, yes, you're a parent for life, but eventually your kids go off to college and move out of the house. Or, um, for me with my professional career now, if I start identifying myself as a fireman, um, you know, in, in 24 years, I'll be walking out of the fire station for the last time. And, and I, and if my identity is solely wrapped up in that one thing, um, I think it's just going to make that transition all the more hard in the next chapter and phase so difficult and more difficult than it needs to be. Like Mike, you and anyone else is like, you're so much more interesting than just that one descriptor for yourself. And so, yeah, you're a fireman, but you're also like funny, witty, smart. You are interested in the outdoors. You are, you, you do all of this other stuff. You're a curious person that thinks about a lot of, that, that thinks about the opportunities that are in front of you. And so like to define yourself as only one thing, I think is like really limiting yourself and your value that you, that you bring to your friends and your family and your loved ones. Yeah. I, I love that thought. Thanks for, for sharing that about me specifically. And I, I think you're so right. Like we're all such dynamic individuals and um, full of different interests uh, that go f- so far beyond what it is we do. Um, and, and when we allow ourselves, whether by ourselves or others to kind of pigeonhole our identity into any one thing, we do have to kind of remember, no, like taking that step back. No, I am, you know, all of these other things too. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. You mentioned that there was, um, some exercises. Like, I'm curious, do you, do you remember any of those? I know you're not doing as much career coaching now, but like, do you remember, like, were they just like simple questions to, to kind of start some reflection? Like, what are some questions people should be thinking about when they're thinking about like what I'm looking for in life? Yeah. So, um, my, I'll give you an example. So my, my partner is a police officer and I think, um, if you were to meet him, you would be like, this guy doesn't really seem like he would be a 
police officer, but he was also an athlete, but he did a team sport. And when he retired from sport, he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And he kind of started with coaching. That's like the natural thing that, that a lot of athletes go into. They have been coached all their lives. And so they, you know, transition that into coaching other athletes and kind of uh, spreading that, that knowledge and information. And I, I think Jimmy enjoyed that, but what he enjoyed most when he was an athlete was being on a team. He wanted to be a part of a group of people that were working towards a common goal. And so he started looking for jobs that fit that profile that had, um, that had a common, a common goal in mind and allowed him to have the lifestyle that we both wanted, which is to live uh, in a rural mountain ski town with access to, with easy access to the outdoors. And, um, and that's how he ended up where he's at. And so I, I think like some, some of those exercises are thinking about your values and defining, there are lots of tools that, that, that do this, but, uh, sit you down and make you define what your values are. And then you can start to look for careers that kind of fit that, that value model that that's most important to you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I definitely relate to, uh, kind of what you're sharing about, about Jimmy and his career. I think, um, you know, when I was reflecting kind of post-sport where I saw myself, um, going, I've always loved to like serve others. And so um, with my uh, pre-sport background as like a volunteer firefighter, the kind of next natural thought was like, man, I would love to land a full-time job as a firefighter, uh, being able to serve others. And then the other benefit of like this career I've found is, is just like um, the schedule. And, and I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the schedule, but you know, we, we work 24 hour shifts and then we have, you know, um, a day or depending on your schedule, several days off, um, that allows you to have some freedom to go and, um, do what you want to do, or even just get an oil change on a Tuesday morning while everyone else is at work and you don't have to wait in the line. Um, so I definitely, uh, relate to, um, some of that reflection about, um, you know, what, what are the values and what, what do you, what do you want, um, to be able to do? Um, and you, you kind of, when we were prepping for the show, um, you said, you said this, and I'm going to read, uh, your quote, um, so that I get it right, get it right. And I want to ask you about it. Jobs should not define you and instead be a condiment. As long as you don't hate it and it allows you to do things that you do like, then count it as a win. And the reason I wanted to chat about this is I think a lot of people like myself included might not feel comfortable settling for a job that we just don't hate. We, we like, um, but then when I, when I personally like slow down with it and think about it and, and think about, um, what you follow it up with of, of as long as it allows you to do the things that you do like, and count it as a win. That second part kind of uh, puts the bow on it and makes a lot of sense. Um, but I'm kind of hoping you can help me break this apart because I think um, 
for myself and others, I think it's an important thought. Because um, I, I feel like we all want to have the perfect job that leads to the perfect pay that leads to the ultimate flexibility to go on vacations. Um, and I know I've heard you talk about that in the past. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. Explain this more. It's such a yeah, good thought. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I think growing up, I was told, and I don't, I don't think this is a bad thing to be told this as a kid, like you can be anything you want and find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I, as an adult, <laughs> think that is fundamentally untrue, but I also think that, um, I have to come to the conclusion that, okay, I am not going to be an Olympian. The highest level I will be is, you know, national team, uh, a national team athlete, you know, team USA athlete. And, um, I don't think I could have worked harder or done anything different. I think the result probably would have been the same. And if I didn't think that, I think I would drive myself crazy. Um, thinking mm, that I, yeah. you know, wasted all this time. So, but yeah. getting back to the original point is that, um, I took a new job at the beginning of, of this year and it's still in the sports world and I work in operations and I basically, um, the middleman between the middle woman, I should say, between <laughs> the, uh, the, the engineers that make the product and the client. And so I get to be that middle person and I, I enjoy it. It's nice. I like talking to clients. I like giving them, uh, I like training them. I like giving them something that they're going to enjoy. I think we make really cool stuff. I like the people that I work with, but I'm not going to define myself as someone that specializes in, in, operations or customer success. Like that's, that's not who, who I am. And so one thing that I enjoy about this place that I'm currently at is that it allows me the freedom to do stuff that I thoroughly enjoy doing, like skiing, like downhill skiing, cross country skiing, snowshoeing, um, you know, I told you earlier that I moved to this rural mountain town in Telluride, Colorado, and now I have super easy access to the outdoors. I can snowshoe out my house, up a trail in my backyard, which is awesome. Um, hmm. and, uh, oh, you know, my lunch break at work. Cool. I'm going to go walk up this steep hill with my dog for, for 40 minutes or, or whatever, whatever it is. And I think that there's, I think when we were doing skeleton and for a lot of professional athletes, and I think just a lot of people, I don't think you have to be a professional athlete to relate to this next point is that, you know, that hustle culture, that grind set can be draining and does not necessarily lead to fulfillment of things that you enjoy. And I think mm we are often told that you have to monetize everything in your life. Oh, I, I like, you know, this about me. I'm really into makeup. I watch a lot of like makeup tutorials, YouTube videos, that kind of stuff. 
like in between skeleton runs, I would watch YouTube videos to like relax. Um, <laughs> so I'm like not thinking too much about like my yeah, intending, yeah. you know, 85 miles an hour coming down. But like, just because I really enjoy that stuff doesn't mean that I have to find a way to, doesn't have to find a way to make money. It doesn't mean I'm going to be a makeup artist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm going to mm-hmm. make, you know, YouTube videos or TikToks or whatever it is. Like, you know, I can just like be a consumer of that content and enjoy it and spend my money on it and enjoy the process of putting it on my, my face. Um, if, if I feel like it on any given day and the idea of having to make money off of everything that you are doing is really toxic. And I, mm. I think it leads to burnout and it leads, it leads to burnout of things that you enjoy. Like ultimately that's why we, well, I don't want to speak for you, but ultimately that's why I left skeleton because while I loved sliding, I was so burnt out on the entire process. It just seemed draining and I dreaded going to the track and it just wasn't an enjoyable, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. And like you only live once and then you die. And mm-hmm. so like, mm-hmm. why would I spend what, what little time I have doing something that I'm not enjoying anymore. And so I think, you know, finding a, a career or a job or whatever you want to call it, you know, that, that allows you to feel filled enough at work and, you know, give it your all and, and, and not dread going to work every day or anything like that. But, like opens the opportunity and the possibility for for you to explore other things that you might be interested in that maybe you wouldn't have time for if you were trying to make money off of it. If if mm. everyone that went skiing thought they were going to be a professional skier, there would be no one skiing <laughs> because there are only yeah. so many professional skiers. You know, right? So right. That that was very a very long explanation but um, hopefully that suffices no that's that's super good and I, I think um you know another thing that i was going to ask you about what that you touched on in there is you said hustle culture is toxic and and you know you just said it again there and and i think um and i don't know if it's a product of like inflation in our country or consumer debt or whatever, but it seems like everybody's got to have a side hustle now. And, and, um, you know, I've gone through phases of my life where I've thought like, Oh, I've really got to have a side hustle in addition to my full-time job. And, um, finally kind of in, in life right now, I'm trying to slow down and, um, do things out of a place of, of just passion for, the process, you know, even like this, this podcast, I'm hoping, um, just become something, uh, that I continue to do just out of the joy of doing it, of having conversations and learning about people. And, um, you know, I've started, uh, writing more this last year for, uh, my wife, Courtney and I's like website where we just talk about travel and, um, you know, in, in originally, like I did kind of have the thought of like, oh man, maybe it'd be cool if this turned into a side hustle. And now it's just kind of like realizing like, man, it's just fun. It's just something I enjoy to 
doing. And, um, you know, when I was really focused on trying to make any money out of it, the creativity and the joy did kind of dry up. Cause I think, um, most things are not overnight successes. Most things, if we're looking at it monetarily are not going to, um, you're not going to open and day one, make your million, you know? And so it's a long journey to making money with, with any, uh, endeavor, whether it's a business or a creative process. Um, and so if I, I think you're exactly right that like, if you're just fueled by the hustle culture and the idea that, um, you know, this is what gets you to that next level, um, man, that passion's gonna, gonna dry up, uh, just fast. drives up so fast. I, I, I do realize, like, I, I think you bring up a good point, is that, you know, consumer debt and inflation and some of that leads to having to get a side, a side hustle. Um, and that, you know, candidly sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I, I also think some of it is that, we get really comfortable in the position that that we're in, myself included. Um, the position that we're in and the process that we that we're going through, and we see that as being normal. But you know, there's always a choice and and an alternative. And um, I think sometimes all it takes is just going looking a little bit before you mm-hmm. realize, like, oh, maybe my current situation like isn't isn't what's best for me and it's draining me. And if I could have a job where I'm remote or I'm hybrid or my commute is 15 minutes instead of an hour, like if you're spending an hour, two hours car every day, that's two hours of your personal time that you are not getting paid for that you are, you know, sitting in a car going or coming from, from somewhere. So, um, I'm, it's tough, I think, and it definitely requires consistent um, effort on my part to realize that, like, there's something that can be better, but, like, what I have right now is good or not good, and then try and figure out how to tweak it and fix it and get it to the point that you want to get it at, want, want to get at. But the, that that hustle culture component is just... I don't know how to describe it. Like, I think, you know, doing it for a decade, doing skeleton, is just, it is, it's draining. And I, I know that I'm, one of the things I had to do when I retired from sport was like, I signed up for like a million things. I was in like a bunch of clubs and mm-hmm. doing, you know, a bunch of volunteer work. And like, eventually it was just kind of like, okay, let's like roll this back a little bit, you know? And, and I think I do still overextend myself. So definitely not, no example for this all the time but i think it's just like being self-aware enough to know like i'm burned out because i have not had a day off because that that side hustle what i'm doing i do it on saturday sunday when i'm not working my desk job and Mm -hmm. i never have like a full day of just doing nothing which is yeah seriously underrated in my opinion yeah yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's kind of one of those things where you, where we all, uh, you know, as we find ourselves in that hustle culture, 
or side hustle um, world kind of need to be asked, like, when is it enough? You know, and and I think that's kind of the journey I'm on this year is, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I had a side job in, in addition to um, working on, on, on my days off from, from the fire station, I was working a side hustle and, um, you know, I ultimately decided to leave that, uh, cause I was like, man, I have such a gift here with this flexible schedule, um, that, you know, I could go and enjoy my time. And then the weirdest thing like kind of happened. It was like, by not filling all of my time again, it was like, being back to leaving sports where it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not waking up with on my days off with that same purpose and drive. Like I was as an athlete where it's like, okay, I'm going to eat breakfast at this time. I'm going to be in the gym at this time. Suddenly when it's like, I didn't have another boss telling me what to do on my days off. I was kind of, kind of a little bit lost. And I think that's kind of where the idea of this, this podcast comes from is, is that like, um, yeah, when, when you slow down and you, you ask, and I, and I think um, you know we both we both know Olympic medalists, um, you know, and and I feel like I've won like an Olympic medal in life here. Like I've got the great job, my wife's amazing, um, we live somewhere that we love, and I have flexible time off, and I'm compensated well for my job, and so it's like I've won the Olympic gold medal with all of this, and. I, and as I step back from side hustles, I'm still sitting here going like, well, what now? You know, and I think a lot of the Olympians we know and, and the Olympic medalists would look at you and go, um, you know, I actually remember Jamie Grubel, uh, Jamie Grubel poser, poser was once asked uh, by somebody like, what changed after you won an Olympic medal? And she just uh, kind of had a candid moment <laughs> That, where she just said, not really anything. You know, I just kind of went back to life. <laughs> Love Jamie. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so true though. I mean, like, you know, I think, I think in her mind, she's like, oh, I probably should have said something different, but um, it's so true that like, what, what happens when you get to the peak of the mountain, right? Like, when is it enough? You know? And, and you realize that like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go back to life. And so you have to find that satisfaction um, in something beyond just the doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, so my partner and I, their coach is, uh, Jimmy's, um, coach is French or former coach. I guess he's not competing anymore is French. And, uh, Sebastian lives in Bordeaux in France. And, um, he, uh, Jimmy went for a youth, fencing camp and I tagged along, but I don't know anything about fencing. So I just enjoyed France while I was there. And I really feel like the French have it figured out. Like they just, they just love life. And like, it was, uh, it was great. I like sat outside one afternoon reading a book by a little pool that this Airbnb had put in. And there were, three different windows open of people playing music at like 2 PM mm. like in the afternoon. Like they're, they're not working. <laughs> like, 
trilogy of the word to like live, of course. But yeah, it was just, like, cool. I've never, I've you know, I'm from the DC area. I don't think I've ever heard music played. Uh, yeah, my my parents' house uh, on an afternoon. Yeah. So this happened multiple times in the week I was there, and it just was like a very lovely notion that I hadn't experienced before. And I think it kind of goes back like. Those people are just playing music because they like to play music. I I don't, mm. you know, and I get to enjoy it. Their windows are open, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Just out of the love, like passion for the music and and art and just playing. That's cool. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I I think you're you're definitely onto something. And I, I remember from our time in Spain, um, the day we were going to go catch the train from Barcelona to Madrid. It was a Sunday and. I feel like we were like trying to just find like a coffee before walking to the, the train anything. station. <laughs> nothing, nothing was open and there was like nobody on the street. And, and, you know, it was just such a fascinating concept because um, everything is open and accessible almost all of the time here now in America. Um, and it was just so fascinating to see like yeah, there's just the entire there's city. A yeah. Yeah. And there really is, you know, uh, there is a trade off to not being able to go out and get your coffee, uh, or, um, a baguette on a Sunday. Um, but man, it's cool. Uh, I think as a society, when, when everybody just takes some time, um, and, and I think you're right, like over in Europe, they're onto something. So I might have to yeah, they just, like, they try just to track. All collect- yeah. They all collectively agreed that like that Sunday we're not doing shit. <laughs> We're yeah. not doing anything today. Yeah. Yeah. Don't expect it. Just we're not doing it. And and you don't have to either. That's the good news. You don't have to you don't have to go to your job today either. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, we've kind of touched on sport and career, but I'm I'm curious, like, you know, uh rewinding a bit, you kind of talked about how um you had done some of that reflecting as you were coaching athletes um about their exits. Um, so I'm curious, like, what was your transition from sport? Like what, what was, um, how do you feel like maybe helping people prepared you for your own exit from, from that? Yeah, I think I got very lucky in a sense. I had a part-time job when I was competing and I decided to retire. It was like December 29th or something of of 2019 and um I was pretty unsure about it at the time like I had decided but kind of still had one foot in one foot out in, like yeah, still looking yeah. at training times results that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make the right choice and then COVID happened and mm. never has a choice been any <laughs> more clear to me than the thought of spending hours in a sweaty start house with a bunch of like smelly men like that, like mm, yeah. zero desire to do that. And, um, <clears throat> especially during COVID and it just made the decision so final and in easy. And so in that regard, I, I got really lucky that this massive global pandemic happened like when i was also going through a big life change the like world was going through a big life change too yeah and so it made it um easier to transition and then on top of that 
Um, because I, most of my friends were athlete friends and because I couldn't hang out with them in person because it's early COVID, I just started hiking more. I'm biking more. Mm. I bought a Vespa. I was like scooting around Dang. on a little 50 cc <laughs> Vespa. Like that's amazing. I, yeah. Like I, it just, <clears throat> it just gave me an opportunity to try some things that I had been interested in that I wanted yeah. to do. And I didn't necessarily, I couldn't do, I couldn't go on a five mile hike for while I was competing for skeleton because I ran for 50 meters and got on my sled and five miles mm-hmm, seemed like, mm-hmm. like way too freaking far. And, um, yeah. and I would be too tired to go and work out the next day. Like it wasn't, but yeah. now that I'm not competing and I've moved on and, um, I had, I was already living in Colorado at the time in the Springs, but, um, you know, I had such easy, easy access to the outdoors that it made the decision a lot easier. And it opened up a lot of doors for me in that, um, oh, there is a lot of other stuff to do that I'm interested in that mm. I has nothing to do with skeleton or training or competing or anything like that. So, um, in that regard, I think my transition process was a lot shorter than some, some athletes, but, um, and I also think that it, it's hard to give advice, um, and not listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth and not like absorb it yourself. And mm. so I'm supposed to be giving this advice to athletes, um, about, you know, how they should, uh, think about themselves in in the workplace what what their values are what defines them what they want to do all, all that good stuff hard to do that without thinking about it yourself you're always sure kind of, um bringing it back to what uh your personal experience right and yeah. i think that's one of the reasons that i was an effective career coach um early on is because i was an athlete and so i had been going through a lot of the same emotions and feelings and and stress and stuff like that, 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 um, that these athletes are going through because I was doing it myself as well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, rewind us for a moment and, and just say that, um, you know, off the record after we're done recording, I have some follow-up questions on your comment about yeah. sharing start house with a bunch of smelly men, uh, as, as one of the former smelly men, I have some issues with that no, comment, no. but we'll just, we'll save that for, star. for after <laughs> <laughs> not pointing any fingers at anybody. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, if, if, uh, I think you raised some really good points. If you, if you want to transition out of something in a, in a clean slate, um, there's one benefit to a pandemic. Uh, it is that that can sure slam the door on uh, 100%. some thoughts. And, and uh, I think a lot of people experience that through the, through the millions of things we experienced over that, that time. Um, yeah, that, that's an interesting parallel. Um, I mean, it, just yeah. in like the workplace, right. In, in the mm-hmm, workforce, mm-hmm. people, companies had their, um, employees go remote yeah and people went remote and realized like hey this is pretty cool and yeah and and this is 
this is great. I'm doing, I'm, I'm super productive at work. I like the work that I'm doing. And also, you know, I can put up the dishes on my lunch mm-hmm. break. <laughs> I don't have to do it when I'm yeah. home and tired. Right. Like, and yeah. so it, it, the, the, the worker, you know, was, I think, reminded of their value in the workplace and mm. that they have some, some power to say, like, I, I want to be remote. I mean, I basically, I, I've worked desk jobs before, but I would like to be a remote worker for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I do a good job at it. And I'm happier and there's better work-life balance. And also I live in the middle of nowhere. So not exactly a lot of places. Like sure. Sure. So that's definitely an exciting part. But um, yeah. yeah, for sure. It's, it just, it, it, it reminded people like, like I remember when COVID, when COVID started, I've, I've always been a gardener. I like tinker in the garden pretty mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. And, but when COVID started, all of these, the line to get into Home Depot were just out the door because people mm-hmm. were like, oh, I can do this this hobby that I've been wanting to do yeah. for years, but yeah. I don't get home until after dark and have never yeah. been able to do it. And it, it just like reminded people that they are more than their jobs and that they have hobbies that they enjoy, like gardening. Like you get a lot of satisfaction yeah. out of gardening. You plant a seed. You watch it grow. You watch it bloom. You watch bee. You watch bees come and pollinate the flower. They leave. It dies, mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. do it again the next year. It's just like a very satisfying, yeah. very satisfying process um, that I think a lot of people didn't do um, pre-pandemic. So um, a lot of bad stuff happened during COVID. That is absolutely true. But I am grateful that it opened up some opportunities for for workers and myself included with like slamming the door shut on a, on a skeleton career that I was like, not super crazy about anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that's, that's a really good point. And I, I think, you know, part of the journey of like asking, what are you looking for for me has been definitely embracing that sometimes along that, um, it's, it's not a failure when we realize like, I'm definitely not looking for this anymore you know, or, or just like finding gratitude that like, at one time I was looking for this, this sport of skeleton was doing a lot for me. Um, and now that chapter's closed. And, and I think, um, you know, you bring up remote work in COVID. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in, in the workforce is still kind of like figuring this out. Um, you know, there's a lot of places looking for employees, but I think you know, that, that time period kind of made a lot of people think about it and, and kind of ask some questions of themselves of like, maybe this isn't what I'm looking for anymore with this job. Um, when jobs push back on remote work or just in the face of a pandemic and not being able to do a lot of the things that you might love, like people making the choice that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this job that feels nothing. You know? Um, yeah. 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 Hmm. Veronica is right about this hustle culture and grind set thing going around. 
It is certainly one thing to have to do it out of circumstance to make ends meet, but it is hardly sustainable. For those creatives out there grinding and hustling to try and make money, she raises some good questions for us to help us get us back to do things for the joy of doing them. Most seasons of life don't last forever, and our ability to appreciate them in the present and prepare for the future hinges on reflection of where we are and where we are going. Well, we are kind of getting close to time, so I, I have some personal questions yep. that I'd kind of love to, to chat about um, more with you. Um, you've kind of touched on it that like having that flexibility of living in Telluride, which um, sounds amazing, uh, despite yeah, being uh, super remote. Yeah, <laughs> Courtney and I are planning an out west road trip, so we might have oh, to uh, you absolutely hit you up come. for next year. So, um, yes, yes, we'll touch base on that after. But um, you've got your docs, you've got Jimmy, who is an amazing dude, and you've got um, this mountain town life. Um, what? Like what makes you happy, you know, in your, your post-sport, uh, life, like what, what makes you happy? Um, so many things make me happy. Um, yesterday I played pickleball for like three hours. I was off. I was off Mm. yesterday from work and, um, played pickleball with people for like hours a bunch of strangers that i didn't know and it was amazing and i drove oh home gosh. and the That's sun awesome. was setting and there was this beautiful alpine glow and um yeah that's something i enjoy the simple things i think uh, yeah we got and i'm just gonna list off a bunch of old person stuff that i enjoy like no that's great you're retired from skeletons so yeah, I mean, Ooh. oh, I've got questions on that. We're we're looking at espresso machines. So uh, again, after after the show, we'll, yeah, have, we'll yeah. have some questions about your espresso machine. Yeah, I mean, um, I already mentioned that I enjoy gardening, and mm-hmm. um, we have two, we have three fruit trees in our yard that um, produced actual fruit this year. Two apple trees and wow. an apricot tree, which is cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, all of my my indoor plant children as well. There are a lot of mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. Um, travel, that's such a stereotypical answer, but like there's nothing I love more than just deconnecting disconnecting from from my phone and um going to enjoy another place that is um, outside the scope of what I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah, I could keep going. It's like tons of little, tiny, simple things, but they, um, and I think sometimes they can get overlooked and, uh, but I really enjoy them. I try and like savor the moment, I think. Oh, skiing. I live in a ski town. I like skiing. I'm terrible at it. It's great. I did not grow up skiing. I know I did a winter sport, but, um, uh, yeah. I'm we weren't really allowed to ski in season. Yeah, no way. No way. Um, uh, there's a ski squat, a ski swap this weekend. I'm excited. Maybe cool. cross country skis. We'll see. Ooh, we're um, big cross country skiers. You should definitely dabble in that. Yeah, I I've just been renting them every time I go, and at this point, I've spent way more money than the cost of skis. I don't. Yeah. I don't do know it. why I'm doing do it, it that way, but yeah. 
do it. We love it. It gets us out in the winter and keeps us warm while we're moving on cold Wisconsin days. Um, You know, the overarching trend of like everything you hear there and, and this is like something I definitely am going to take away from this conversation. It's just like, I just hear gratitude for a lot of the simple things and, and like, it sounds really cheesy because it's like, yeah, obviously like you want to be happy. You got to be grateful for simple things. But I think like all of the things you just touched on are so easy for myself and I'll bet others to just like breeze over the fact that like, you know, like sun setting yesterday, um, playing pickleball with strangers for three hours or, um, having a fruit tree actually bear fruit. Like I, I think, um, I just hear a lot of gratitude in your, in your, um, your answer there. And, And I think, um, it's a lot of really simple, small things that are making your life, um, joyful. And, and I think in sports, you know, we just look for personal records and lifting a heavier weight. And, um, you know, when we miss those marks, we are down on ourselves, hard on ourselves, or when we only PR by, you know, one pound or, uh, a small margin, it's not good enough, you know, and, and it's really hard to find the gratitude in that. And, and, and um, I think like, I just, to be fair, you kind of have to be that way if you're a professional athlete, yeah, right? Like you're constantly yeah, trying to yeah. get better. It's just like, yeah, not always great for real life. And if I no. looked at the gym now, the way that I look at <laughs> how I trained as an athlete, I'd be disappointed every second of every oh, day my goodness. Like, in the gym. Yeah. I'm nowhere yeah, close I re- to my PRs, and I don't intend to ever be there again. And that's fine. I like going to the gym. I work out with my neighbor, and um, you know, we jog around, we lift some weights, and then yeah, that's good. Yeah, I remember after I retired from from skeleton, it was like probably like four or five months after, and I was like leaving my office cubicle job and going and spending like three hours at the gym still. Oh, and yeah. suddenly, suddenly one day I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to do this anymore. Like I can yeah. come for an hour, get in and get out. But like, I was still doing like full skeleton workup, like, <laughs> you know, like warm up for a half hour, which is good. I probably should keep doing that. That's if there's anything <laughs> that's going to stick in the routine, it's probably the, the warm up and the cool down, but uh, oh. obviously those are the first to go, but I, you know, I'm sprinting, I'm doing hip mobility over hurdles and then lifting for an hour. It was so ridiculous. And then getting home and then going to work super early in the morning, the next day and doing it all again. And, um, yeah, when you, when you realize like that is just part of the grind that doesn't need to happen anymore. Um, Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, uh, I, I totally feel that. And I think there are a lot of athletes that did the exact same thing that you're talking about. And, um, if the gym is your oasis, you know, let it, let it be your oasis. Yeah. It's just like, sure. Sure. I think what I enjoyed about the gym was the endorphins that you get from working mm-hmm. out, but then there's also like a camaraderie that happens in there that yeah. is sometimes hard to uh, replicate. And I started going to these super early morning classes here in Telluride. And I'm so grateful that I did. Cause I met all mm-hmm. of my friends that I now have through, through yeah. these classes 
And um, I definitely wouldn't have had that if I wasn't going. But, you know, the workouts are an hour. They're not three hours. <laughs> yeah, it, right, right. I get the same, the same, you know, endorphin rush from that that I do from, yeah. you know, deadlifting a bajillion pounds. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I um, that kind of almost uh, transitions into the next question I have for you. I think um, a really important thing about leading, you know, just like a fruitful, joyful life is staying uncomfortable and being vulnerable. And so something I want to ask you is, what is something that makes you feel vulnerable? Um, yeah, so I, I think... Anytime you do something that is outside the scope of what you are comfortable with, you feel vulnerable. So I think when you're a little kid and you're like learning something new, you mess up a lot and it's fine. You just fall down, you get back up, keep doing it and it seems normal. And then when you get older, you get like embarrassed by being bad at something that you're like supposed to be good at. And I, I started doing skeleton as an adult, I was a recent college grad and you have no idea what you're doing. Like they don't like, like the coach just like puts you on a sled and just kind of picks you off the hill halfway up the track. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, look in and out of corners. You'll be fine. Like they let the track just take you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which like sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, but you know, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, another, another story. But, um, I think that that was a really great, growing experience for me as a young adult, Mm. um, doing something that I didn't know anything about that I was really uncomfortable with. And, um, now that I, you know, live in a ski town, I didn't grow up skiing. I didn't know how to ski or anything like that. I, I rented skis one day and was like, I'm awful, but I, I really feel like this is going to be like the next thing that I really enjoy. And I spent an entire winter season. I would go out, I would work in town. I would go out on my lunch break and I would ski for an hour. I had a ski pass and ski for an hour by myself doing laps of the galloping goose, which is a green run. And I would just Mm. like green run get on the lift go back up and i like i do that a bunch of times and then i go back to work and like and um it just like i was forcing myself to do something that was like petrifying like this green run is yeah. terrifying and you know it's been a couple years now and i'm still um not pretty average skier i would say uh but now the next goal for myself is like, okay, I'm going to do blocks. And I'm, um, I've had to take the same approach as skeleton when I would go to track and skeleton that mm-hmm. were like really scary is like, not think about it. And just like, don't stand at the top of the hill and look down and think about it for too long. Just like decide I'm going to do, I'm going to do this black run today and I'm just going to ski right off the top and go, I'm not going to think about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, towards the end of last season, I would like catch myself and in the middle of the run be like, Oh my God, I'm, this is like really scary and really steep. Yeah. But you know, that's a really big improvement over like a couple of years. And, um, I really attribute it to 
getting out of my, my comfort zone and doing something that I, you know, no experience with, I am completely unfamiliar with. And I think you can do that with anything in life. You can change, uh, your career. I worked as a career coach and now I work in tech. Like there are so many different opportunities for you to like do something that like makes you uncomfortable and get you out of your, your comfort zone. And like, I, another great example is like, I don't really like heights. I'm like, like I get vertigo, but when I'm, when, but we have this thing called the Via Ferrata and Telluride, which is like a, wow. Um, basically rock climbing situation. And I make a concerted effort to do that at least once a year and force myself to have like tunnel vision for the two, three hours that I'm doing this cliffside um, hike so that I'm doing something out of my comfort zone. Like, oh yeah, I I can't. And there's so many opportunities for you to do that for yourself. You just got to like find something like, oh, that kind of interests me. I mean, that's how... I got into skeleton. That's how a lot of people got into skeleton. They saw yeah. it on TV and they're like, yeah. Oh, well, I wonder there's this curiosity component. I wonder, um, what, uh, what that would be like if I, if I did that, if I did that, see what, let's, let's like dig a little deeper there. Let me send an athletic resume. Let me go up to like plastic and try that out. Like yeah. whatever it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, then the night before my first, uh, run, um, at my skeleton sliding school, I remember laying in bed at the training center and just having the distinct thought of like, Oh my God, what if I hate this? You know? And, and just like the fear of that. And, and, um, you know, hearing you talk about, um, learning and skeleton just reminds me of, you know, the learning process and skeleton, you are running into the walls that are supposed to keep you in the track and your arms and shoulders and hips um, and feet turn shades of colors that you didn't realize the human (laughs) body could. You know, I remember um, at the end of that sliding school having arms that were like green and yellow and they just looked so disgusting from the bruises and the learning process is such like a humbling thing. And so, um, you know, relating that to you now, like it's super humbling, I'm sure to take a chairlift or a tow rope, whatever it is, uh, up the galloping goose next to yeah. five and six year olds who I assume oh, in Colorado can probably my... just rip, they're you so know, fast. um, but, they're but I like, think there's so like much, Gumby. they like never get yeah. they fall down and they pop right up. Like, Oh my, they don't bruise. At you. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't bruise like we do or ache yeah. the next morning. So, um, you know, but, but that humility in the learning process, I think is something to be really admired. And, um, you know, like you say, like if, if you decide, you know, after your next run, like I don't actually enjoy skiing, you can, you can stop, but you'll be so much better for having tried. And, um, you know, uh, with, without trying, you have no idea, um, if it's something that you'll just fall in love with. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah, and and um, before I lose this thought, I am going to for sure put the um, some form of link or information about the Via Ferrata in the show notes here. Um, which yeah, also, this is like the I first did, time I've mentioned. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
this is the first time on this podcast, episode one, that I've said the word show notes. So now I feel like I'm a real podcaster. So we can put a and wrap it up. But um, yeah, for somebody with a fear of heights, I think uh, I would be doing you an injustice not to show whoever is listening what the Via Ferrata is. Because if you've never heard of it, never seen photos, um, it would be a scary endeavor for somebody who loves height and um, a terrifying endeavor for anyone who doesn't love heights. And, but I think, uh, you know, kind of like learning skeleton or skiing, um, there's so much good to be learned from the vulnerability, discomfort, and humility of learning something new. Absolutely. Last question, Veronica Day. Yeah. Yes. Um, what are you looking for in life? I am looking to enjoy the simple things. Hmm. That's a good word. That's a good word. I think that's a good one to end on. Awesome. Veronica, thank you so much for taking the time and being guest number one. I, I just really appreciate it. I appreciate so much of what you said and connect with a lot of it. And I think um, anybody who clicks on the podcast might find some things in what you said that they resonate with or um, just some challenges for thinking about life and how we're going about it. Yeah. I'm happy to be your first guest. Be an honor to come back in a year once you've interviewed a bunch of way cooler people than me. But, uh, but yeah, thanks a lot for the invite, Mike. I want to thank uh, my first guest, Veronica Day, for coming on the show and just having a conversation with me about uh, all things passion, work, hustling, and uh, just enjoying the simple things in life. Uh, I took a lot from this conversation. I can easily breeze over all of the simple little moments and really only find gratitude in the big wins. But I don't think that's sustainable to enjoying uh, life. I think we have to reflect every day on the simple little moments that were really good and find the gratitude for the sunsets and the pickleball games. If you made it this far, thanks a lot for listening to episode one, the real episode one, my interview with Veronica Day. We'll be back in two weeks with another interview. See you then. This has been What Are You Looking For with Mike Terry. Our theme song is Standing on Your Own by Paper Twins. All music is sourced from Epidemic Sounds. Thanks for listening and see you next time.